Our message is taken from Matthew chapter 10, specifically it's verses 34 to 39. However, for context, we'll read at verse 16, 16 through the end of the chapter, 16 to 42. After explaining and commissioning the disciples in the first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 15, he then instructs the disciples on what to expect what to expect when preaching and living faithfully according to the gospel. 10.16 Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you shall not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher and the slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. 
He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Amen. At this time of year, there are many people thinking about peace and love. Peace, love, and harmony. Because it is Christmas, people are thinking in terms of peace. And everyone is thinking of things that are fun, uh, frivolous, happy, joyful. That's what's happening at this time of year. It's interesting that over the years, uh, especially while teaching in seminaries and universities, there were many subjects that the students would come and ask uh, as a professor. They would come and ask and say, well, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? There were a handful of very common topics, and such as creationism, predestination, free will. These were a couple of the major ones. But in the top five to ten was this question. They would have, they would have read Matthew 10, and it's usually Matthew 10, and this passage in verses 34 to 39, and they would come into the office and say, Sir, what is this? Why, what did Jesus mean? Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. And this they would ask throughout the year, whenever they stumbled across this passage. No one had taught them anything about this. They had never heard anything about this. And it would puzzle them that Christ would say such words. It could not and did not fit into their worldview because of their upbringing, because of whatever their pastors were preaching, and whatever beliefs they already had about relationships, and especially familial relationships among relatives, among close relatives. They could not fathom the thought that Jesus would say these words in application to these close relationships. They couldn't fathom it. And often the confusion would arise because of Luke 2.14, where it says he came to bring peace on earth. Peace on earth. So how does Luke 2.14 relate to Matthew 10, 34 to 39? They did not ever comprehend it, try to figure it out. So they would come puzzled and perplexed, asking, well, what does Matthew 10 mean? And the answer that would be presented to them was unsatisfactory, typically. They did not like the thought that what Christ said here relates to their close family, their kin, their relatives, their sons, their daughters, their fathers, their mothers. They did not like it. Now, of course, there are always people who have a, a crazy uncle or a, a nasty daughter-in-law or mother-in-law. These kinds of relationships exist. And in that way, they have no trouble. But what of 
the one with whom we have always had a close relationship. You have similar interests, you have similar hobbies, you like to do many things together, and you have fun doing them. What about them? It's more difficult to give up and to break that relationship for the gospel. As Jesus said, he said in this passage a couple of times, he says, for example, in verse 18, 10, 18, for my sake, in verse 22, on account of my name, verse 40 or 39, for my sake, 39, for my sake, verse 40, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. What then are we to do with these verses? We must apply them. They do have a context. The reason it is so difficult is the flesh and the world are consumed with what we may call family first theology. Family first theology. After all, it's my wife. After all, it's my children. After all, we do it for the kids. Don't you love children? Don't you care for children? Don't you care about family? Family first. And Christmas, there are two main holidays throughout the year where the family first idolatry is most evident that comes to the surface. It is during Christmas and Mother's Day. Christmas and Mother's Day. Those are the two first idolatrous times of year when people are happy to avoid, subvert, minimize worship of God when it's Mother's Day. They are happy to do many other things. And if anybody dares to touch Mother's Day, they will be demonized. And if a pastor were to preach something anywhere close to what we are about to hear about family relationships on Mother's Day, he would be stoned to death in the pulpit in the average church today. And the same goes with Christmas. After all, it's the good time of year for everybody to get together. We have our family gatherings, our family reunions, family, family, family. And to such an extent that the Lord's Day is subverted whenever Christmas falls on the first day of the week, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day. In some places, worldwide, even the worship of God, the proper worship of God, is subverted. And this should be detestable and blasphemous in the eyes of everyone who has some idea of what the Scriptures teach. It should not be happening at all. Now, having said these preliminary remarks, shall we address what Jesus did actually mean in Luke chapter 2, or what the Scriptures actually mean in Luke chapter 2? Luke 2. Luke 2 and verse 14. This passage is often preached during Christmas. 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
they seize upon this word peace. That is, they hijack the word peace using biblical words with an unbiblical meaning. And they use common words with an uncommon meaning. Yes, the passage does use the word peace. However, how is it used? What does it mean? Does it mean what the common preachers make it mean? That God intends for everybody to get along always and for everybody on the earth even to experience his eternal salvation or to have ready access to his eternal salvation that Jesus came to make eternal salvation possible for every single person because God loves everyone alike. He loves everyone equally and eternally. This is the mentality, this is the worldview that is imposed upon this verse in Luke 2.14, that he is granting peace on earth, but they fail to expound the last phrase. With whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. Is God pleased with every individual on the earth? No, he is not. No scriptures teach that. He is not pleased with every man or every person in the whole world. Throughout history or at any given time in history, that's not possible. Read Romans 1, 2, and 3, and we find that that is very obviously not the case. But it says here, with whom he is pleased. Well, how is God pleased with any man? Only if he is in Christ. That's the qualifying phrase. That is the modifying phrase, with whom he is pleased. So whoever is pleasing in the sight of the Lord because he has saved them and they are in Christ, those are the men who have this peace from Christ. They are the recipients. They are the beneficiaries of this peace. Not everybody, not everybody in a promiscuous way, in a general way, God's not broadcasting the peace to every single person. That's not what's happening in Luke 2, 14. That's in the context. Furthermore, there are other scriptures that teach that God does not, does not grant peace to everyone. In fact, he says the opposite. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, verse 22. 48, 22. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, 20 to 21. 57, 20. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Wicked people are like, like the tossing and turning of a stormy sea. And a stormy sea tosses up refuse and mud. 
Wicked people are like that. And in a stormy sea, there is no peace. There is no calm. In fact, because of that, he describes it in verse 21, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The wicked are like a storm-tossed sea that brings up refuse and mud. They don't have peace, not true peace. Psalm 69, Psalm 69, 22 to 28. Psalm 69, 22. No peace for the wicked. 69, 22. This is a prayer, and a prayer of Christ against his enemies. The enemies of Christ. Psalm 69 is a Christological messianic psalm. 69.22, may their table before them become a snare. And when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate. May none dwell in their tents. For they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten. And they tell of the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity. And may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life. And may they not be recorded with the righteous. Unmistakably, Christ preaches against the wicked, preaches and prays against the wicked. And in 22, he says, when they are in peace, may it become a trap. They will have something that has a semblance of peace, but it's not real and true peace. In fact, he says, may that peace become their trap to ensnare and entice them to eternal ruin. Eternal destruction. Their fake and phony peace. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Jeremiah 6, verse 9. Remember, we are reading these passages to show that the Scriptures clearly explain that the wicked don't have true peace. There is a distinction the Bible makes between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 9, Jeremiah 6, 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They will thoroughly glean as the vine the remnant of Israel. Pass your hand again like a grape gatherer over the branches. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear. Behold, their ears are closed, and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary with holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street, and on the gathering of young men together, for both husband and wife shall be taken." the aged and the very old. 
and their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord, for from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. And they have healed the wound of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. The false prophets, the false priests, the false politicians will cry out, will shout, peace, peace, to those who persist in living in wickedness. But the Lord says in 6.14, but there is no peace. There is no true peace, no matter how much they pronounce it, positively confess it. Positive confession is a thing in certain quarters of Christianity, that if you say it, therefore it must be true. It will be true. But that's not true because they are rebellious people. It says they refuse to listen. They cannot listen because they have uncircumcised or closed ears, verse 10. And they have no delight in the word of the Lord. If the word of the Lord were straightforwardly preached to them, they would despise it they would have an extreme distaste for it and vomit it out of their mouth. That's the way it is. They don't want the peace of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord says to these wicked people who have a fake peace, he says that he's full of the wrath of the Lord. The prophet is, I'm weary with holding it in, meaning God has revealed this true word to me. I cannot contain it. I have to speak up and tell the people about it. And so he, what is it? Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gathering of young men together for both husband and wife shall be taken the aged and the very old. Isn't that an amazing statement? Contrary to what people think today. Remember, people say it's for the children. It's for the kids. Don't you want the kids to have fun? Don't you care about families? Right here, God is punishing whole families, including the children, the young and the old alike, husband and wife alike. He's punishing them for their wickedness, not giving them true peace. And why so? Because everybody, verse 13, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. Those in the lowly, low places of society and in the high places of society, the elite and also the common man. Everyone is greedy for gain. The prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So this is why they don't have a true and lasting peace, because they despise the Lord by despising his word. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah 8, he reiterates this point in 8, 8 to 12. 8, 8 to 
12. Actually, shall we begin at verse 4? 8, verse 4. We'll read 4 to 12. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn away and not repent? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned away in continual apostasy? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened and heard. They have spoken what is not right. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his course, like a horse charging into the battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her seasons, and the turtle dove and the swift and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the ordinance of the Lord. How can you say, we are wise, and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. And what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to others, their fields to new owners, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. And they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially by saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, declares the Lord. The Lord is describing in verses 4 to 7 something astounding. That is, when men fall down, don't they get up again? Why do the men persist in a fallen state? And he says the storks, the turtle doves, the swift, the thrush, these animals, they know what to do instinctively. But why don't these people know what to do instinctively? And for that matter, they also have the ordinance of the Lord. They also have the word of the Lord. But the word of the Lord, with its clear instructions, does not cause them to repent. And then we have, in verse 8, we have the lying pen of the scribes. The scribes. This may remind you of the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament period. The scribes, they were the ones who were the transmitters of the manuscripts of the Bible. They transmitted. They had very brilliant and acute eyesight, and they had a very steady hand, and they had to have linguistic knowledge and the ability to transmit from one manuscript to another manuscript so that the word of the Lord is preserved from generation to generation. They have those God-given talents, skills. However, they were not using their knowledge of the Scriptures because they would have to be in it constantly to 
transcribe the word from one manuscript to another manuscript. They would have to be in it. And they would be easy teachers. That is, teachers, those knowledgeable about what the word of the Lord said and be able to teach others. That would be the scribes. They would be easy consultants. You could easily go to them and say, Mr. Wiseman, tell me, you're the one that is very familiar with the Bible. What does the Lord say here and there? What does he say about this subject and that topic? Please let me know. But what did they do with their knowledge of the word? It says right there in verse 8, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. Made what? The law of the Lord. They knew what the word of God said, but by their own pen, writing comments or commentaries about the Lord's word, they would make the Lord's word into a lie and what they said a truth. All the while claiming that it's in harmony with the Bible, when actually it contradicts the Bible. And that's how they make the word of the Lord into a lie. And they have no shame in doing this. They reject the word of the Lord and teach others to reject the word of the Lord. Just dismiss it. Just ignore it. It doesn't apply to this situation. That's often what they say. It doesn't apply. I know what it says. I know what it means. Your interpretation is right, but it does not apply to my situation, which means to my sin, because they don't want to repent of their sin. Yet, it's deceit, it's greed, and it's false peace. Verse 11 says, and they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, superficially, by saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. No true peace. Ezekiel also comments on this. Ezekiel 13. Ezekiel 13, verse 8. Ezekiel 13, 8. We read 8 to 16. Also, he has to deal with false prophets, false priests, false people, false brothers. And he says, 13, 8, 8 to 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace, when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will fall. And a violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the plaster with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. 
There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I shall tear down the wall which you plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst and you will know that I am the Lord. Thus, I shall spend my wrath on the wall and on those who have plastered it over with whitewash. And I shall say to you, the wall is gone and its plasterers are gone along with the prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem, who see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord God. He describes the false hope of the false prophets and the people who falsely follow the false prophets. He describes it like a wall, a whitewashed wall. A whitewashed wall Initially, it looks just fine. It looks like it's newly painted. It's brilliant. It's acceptable. It's beautiful. People want to look at it. However, when God brings a flooding rain, hailstones, and it destroys the wall, of what use was the plaster, the whitewash, on the wall? Nothing. So it gives a superficial sense that everything is fine and it's a strong wall, but it's really not a strong wall. And the whitewash, the paint, it's of no value because it's, the wall is destroyed. That's the way people are who have false peace. They are like a whitewashed wall. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We read in verses 1 to 11 that this is even in our day and until the return of Christ. There will be those who shout and boldly proclaim peace when there is no peace. 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now as to the times and the epics, brethren. You have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. It is an insatiable desire in men, even religious men, to shout and proclaim peace and safety. They believe it themselves or they lie themselves and they cause others to believe in their falsehoods. 
When there's no true knowledge of God, no true redemption in Christ, no true reconciliation and peace with God, then it's a fake peace. And that fake peace will come to a sudden end. It says in verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Sudden destruction for those who have false peace. Jesus, he's teaching us about true peace. Let us seek to know what true peace is. We'll continue in the next message to understand what Jesus meant about true peace and false peace. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.